This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. When a stranger calls. This follows after my neighbor man's stalking story. It is not an update, just a phone stalker after we lived through hell caused by that fruit loop of a fool. This super happy fun time experience takes place about four years after the neighbor ordeal. I guess my ever so endearing demeanor attracts unhinged folks. Anyways, I start working for a new job just after Christmas. The company I worked for took over an account at a building closer to my home so I transferred to the newly acquired location. After my first week there, some of the people began to ask about my relationship status and take interest in me. This little ray of sunshine happened to be single back then, but I was not ready to mingle. 
I was focused on work, my family, and school. I was only there for about three months and didn't end up liking the new location, so I left for a better suited job. Imagine my shock when some of the workers wished me an early happy birthday and luck at name of new job. In a completely clownshit move, the manager had disclosed where I would be working. As I'm leaving I see something I'd never noticed before a phone list of employees with first and last names printed in the break room. One of many what in the actual F moments to come. I let the manager know he needed to remove me from that as I one no longer worked there, and two would not be okay with that even if I continued to be an employee there. He shrugged it off with the attitude of someone who assumes an upset woman as having her time of the month, rolled his eyes and took it down. I was beyond thrilled to start my new job when the call started. Looking back, there had been maybe three prior to what I believed was the beginning of this, but they weren't as persistent so I didn't link them together. Side note I have a tendency to bleach every red flag white, so please trust your instincts and scary movie run bitch run yourself away when red flags are presented. I began to receive phone calls from a blocked number every week, only Friday Sunday but with holidays yay, and always between 1-4am. I have a weird thing about my phone being near me and left on at night ever since my sister's accident. When she had said accident and they tried to call me about her, my phone was off and in the other room. For everyone who wants to ask why I didn't just shut it off or put it away, this is why. I will virtually throat punch anyone who says anything like, just shut your phone off in the comments. I'm an insomniac and light sleeper, so the calls always woke me up. I tried answering them without saying more than a hello, but always just heard breathing. This had gone on for three weeks when my birthday came. Worked my new job, then the rebel that I am went and got a red box to take and have a pizza and movie night with my parents to celebrate. As I'm scrolling through the ridiculously dull selection of red box titles my phone rings. One of the girls from my new job tells me that a guy who identified himself as my boyfriend had come and dropped off a pizza, flowers, and card for my birthday. Confused, I relay to her I didn't have a boyfriend. She nervously laughs and says that she found it strange my boyfriend wouldn't know I was off work, and that he would need to leave the stuff there rather than give it to me in person. I thanked her, got my movie, and didn't give it too much thought. It was my birthday, so that was a problem for tomorrow me. Next day I open the card at work, and it's tickets photocopy, not the actual ones I could have used to a place four hours away. In the card there was a lengthy poem and details of the trip complete with dates and hotel name the person planned to take us on. Creep factor raised, no idea who this is from. When I asked the co-workers they could only give a generic description. The weekend comes and like clockwork the call comes in. I decide not to answer and now just decline the call. Life goes on. My mystery night and shining potential restraining orders never came back to my work and the calls continue. These calls went on for three years. I'll save you to insignificant life bits, but I have changed jobs and moved in those years. The calls did not stop until winter of last year. I tried answering and asking who it was. I tried screaming and cussing them out. I tried having my friend answer. I tried having males answer and threaten. Basically I tried more than Sam, I am tried to get you to eat green eggs and ham. A few times they would have a song quet up to play when I answered. The more it went on, the more emboldened they got. 
They started heavy breathing picture across between Mass Jason from Friday the 13th and a first time masturbator and then whispering my name. At one point they ended up graphically describing what they dreamed of doing to me. I called the cops, who said without an actual threat they can't do anything. Dreams don't count as a threat, I guess, is what I was told. I called the phone company to see if they can tell me the number of the caller, who told me they can't disclose that, and to call the cops. I ended that phone call with a cheery, when you see someone wearing my skin as a suit on the news, remember this, have a great day. I am now debating on changing my phone number personal legit reasons why I hadn't done this before, but also seriously concerned for who TF this is. For someone to be committed to calling you every weekend of their life for that long is extremely frightening. One morning after another two unknown missed calls, I wake up to a text from an unknown number. I'm greeted with an unsolicited dick pic. Fun fact, no one wants an unsolicited dick pic, folks. I responded stating if whoever it was ever contacted me again, their photo and phone number would be placed on Craigslist men seeking men so they could get their own share of dick pics. I reverse search the number and lo and behold get a name of someone who I briefly worked with at the beginning of this story. It all starts to click that the calls started once I began that job. This guy would have known where my new job was and about my birthday since the co-workers I had working there wished me an early happy B-Day on my last day. Him sending that pic solidified that he was the caller. That's all folks. Anticlimactic ending never saw or heard from him again thankfully. So weird obsessive guy, let's not meet. This was around 2006. I had just graduated from a small liberal arts school in New York City with a degree in writing and, like most new graduates, figured I'd be running shit in no time. I'd been mostly going on interviews for assistant positions and the like, so when I applied to an ad for a copywriter and got an interview, I jumped at the chance. This was 2006 when Craigslist was still a viable job search option instead of a backdoor prostitution cesspool with the occasional nice couch so I was using it almost exclusively for job hunting. The interview was in a pretty nondescript building in Chelsea. If you're familiar with the city, it was one of those narrow pre-wars around 7th Avenue that are usually filled with low-budge modeling agencies and startup production companies. Of course, I didn't have any of that context at the time and still thought my three-month internship would my ticket to career success. So yeah. Anyhow, I go up to the floor as instructed in the email. The company is called Fake Name that's similar the Dirty Glass more on this to come. It's one of these gift catalog deals with housewares and tabletop, which seemed fun and mostly stress-free, was still a pot-smoking hippie at that point, and was looking for an easy, laid-back gig. Counter, I know, with my thinking I was hot shit, but I was young and contradicted myself a lot back then. One other note, as part of my application, I'd been asked to answer three questions about myself in the same sultry, scandalous style I'd planned to use in the catalog and send along a picture. I didn't really think anything of this, since the catalog had a particular tone that was sort of a little naughty, not like NZFW prawn naughty, more like OM a mom drinking wine before noon naughty, and didn't realize a picture wasn't part of the standard application process. So I make my way to office. Now on the office door, someone has taped a piece of computer paper printed with the name of the company. Odd, I think, until I remember that the hiring manager told me they'd recently moved. 
At this point, I'm just eager to prove myself to this company and fantasizing about how jealous all my former classmates will be at my fancy new title when door swings open. On the other side, the man who greets me is distinctly gay. No judgment, I'm a gay woman, but suffice it to say my gaydar was buzzing like crazy. This actually puts me at ease. Great, I think. Now I don't have to posture to some douchebag who wants a young secretary to ogle during business hours. This is really about me and my talent. As he greets me in the doorway, I peek behind the man and see another girl already sitting inside with her purse. The guy will call him S, tells me he's just finishing up another interview and invites me in. Again, I'm not thinking this is too weird, mostly because it's a small office, just a single room, I soon find out, but also because I have little to no experience interviewing. So I sit down next to this girl. Right away, I notice a wine glass on the table. S immediately offers me a glass of wine, mind you. It's 11.30 or so in the morning, and tells me this is not your typical office environment that people are free to drink, have fun, and avoid the typical corporate grind. Again, that alarm bell inside me threatens to ring. But as I said, I'm a little bit of a free spirit and certainly was back then, so I push it away and, being 22, jump at the chance to drink in the middle of the day. S quickly rushes through a bunch of standard interview questions with this girl, and then turns to both of us. Now he's super animated all of a sudden, explaining how the Dirty Glass website is just the tip of the iceberg as far as what he's trying to create with his company. Now this is ten years ago plus at this point, but I will try to recount exactly what he told me. Basically, he says the Dirty Glass catalog will soon be divided into three sections section. One will be the alcohol and barware section of the site. Section two will be devoted to food. Section three, he tells us, leaning in, is of the utmost secrecy, and we're lucky enough to get a preview. Basically, what S is trying to create is a hedonist community where VIP members get access to a black card that gives them special privileges all over the world to eat at the best restaurants, drink the best wine, and join in on hedonist activities wherever they can be found. Section 3 of the site is therefore devoted to sex toys of all stripes, to be consistent with the hedonist aspect of his offline secret society. Writers will be required to try all the products in their section, in order to write authentic descriptions. How awesome is that, I think, when we're still talking about wine and food, so if you're involved in Section 3, you have to be sexually adventurous. Now let me recap. I'm a naive 22-year-old sitting next to another 20-something drinking wine in the middle of the day with a stranger who's pitching me his hedonist fever dream. Why I did not run out of there, I will never know. For some odd reason, I think largely because I had just spent the past four years reading existentialist philosophy and smoking pot, I'm actually entertaining all this as a viable business model. The other girl, for her part, also seems super on board with the idea. So S continues. As far as the job goes, there's a couple different ways writers can be involved. The first is as a contributor who submits every once in a while. The second is as a staff writer, stationed at the office HQ who gets paid a salary to write for the catalog. And the third is someone with company stakes who is as much of a partner as he is. S has names for these levels, as he calls them, two of which have now faded from memory, but one I will never forget. The deepest level, as he says, is the inner sinner circle. The inner sinner circle, he tells us, are those who will write for this third layer of his site, the hedonist side. 
He describes this group as being like a bunch of sex columnists required to use the products they discuss, with one small catch. They're required to use them in front of each other in the office. I turn to the girl next to me who is effusively expressing her interest in of all this again, more on that later. Wow, I think. I have some competition here I know I know, don't even say it. So naive. So S goes back into professional mode, concludes the interview with the other girl, shuts the door and turns to me. Now it's just the two of us in this tiny room in the middle of this random pseudo-office building in Chelsea. Immediately, he's animated again and tells me as great as the other girl seemed, he just knows I'm the perfect person for this job. He wants me to go all the way with him. Every level. At this point, my internal alarm which has been ringing in a vacuum somewhere finally reaches my ears. What do you mean, I ask. I want you to be in the inner center circle. Would you be interested in that, Ruzovich? Even at this point, I'm still on board with his weird social experiment, and I tell him sure, I would potentially be interested, all the while knowing I have got to get out of here because even if this is a legitimate opportunity, things are getting weird. Great, he tells me, in order to be part of the inner center circle and for him to trust that I'm ready for it, he just requires one thing. He wants me to masturbate in front of him, right now. Okay, now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier, all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more. Now I know I gotta get the F out of this place. So, very calmly while still matching his general level of excitement, I tell him that as pumped as I am about the opportunity, this is not something my girlfriend would be comfortable with me doing. In response, and matching my calmness measure for measure, he makes me call my girlfriend to ask her permission. Now I'm on the phone with her, frantically trying to explain his whole movement, telling her this guy wants me to masturbate in front of him thankfully, She's my ex now cause she barely reacts with more than a that's weird when I tell her and all the while he's watching me, refilling my wine glass, waiting for my decision. So I get off the phone and tell him nope, I'm sorry, she says I can't do it. But still he urges me on, more pleading, more insistent. Now I will never understand how I did this, but miraculously I am able to convince him that I seriously plan to email him a nude of myself at a later date. I obviously had no intention of actually sending one, and with him still thinking I was interested in being an inner sinner, got the hell out of there. Looking back, I don't know why I didn't pick up more on the signs that so much was wrong with this situation. 
I now believe the girl before me was an obvious plant. I'm convinced he'd put something in my wine, he had a fridge with two different bottles he was pouring from, and that had I drank more who knows if I'd have made it out of there the same as I came in. It took me until months later when I was recounting the story to a professor friend to really realize just how serious things could have gotten. I even wrote to S the next day to politely decline the position with an earnest hope that he keep pursuing his big dream, so convinced as I was that what he was starting was really different and unique months later. I saw the ad I answered pop up again on Craigslist and flagged it, but nothing really came of it, and the, the dirty glass site remained up for a long time. I seriously hope no other young writers found out what was really going on in the inner sinner circle. So rapey man from my first job interview, let's never never meet again. I had to live in the Bay Area for a couple months so I could be on site at a new contract. I had never been in the area before so I assumed that a place in San Jose would be an okay commute to Mountain View which was great because I found a room in a five bedroom house that was cheap and close enough to the train station to get away with a bike. Sent them a few emails and sorted it all out. Showed up at SFO a week later, rented a car for the first week and drove down and found the house. The house is a cute little bungalow on a residential street. Yep, the house on one side had a terrified retired couple living in it. The house on the other I never saw a soul. There was barbed wire on a lot of the fences, lots of locks on the doors. Friday nights was cruise down the main street and blare music out of your pickups, while possibly blasting your handguns in the air for some reason. The other people in the house were all working for the main leaseholders who were the regional sellers for a national television provider. Nice enough people, but there wasn't much highbrow conversations to be had. One of the guys was technically supposed to be in Fresno because of a minor bit of bother with the local police and was in constant violation of his parole. His friends would come by and they'd while away the evening hours drinking and smoking and having a whale of a time. The Wi-Fi stopped working at one point and was mentioned in the original Craigslist ad so I asked what was up. I got, oh, I guess the neighbor changed their password finally. Sigh. One of the guys actually drove me to the train station on the last day. The former drug dealer had some interesting stories. The Mexican food was excellent. Maybe this wasn't such a bad Craigslist experience after all. Not me, but it happened to my brother. He was selling a gun on Craigslist, I know, mistake number one. And he decided to meet the potential buyer at a public place by himself strike two. All seemed normal until my brother looked down at his phone to respond to a text. The scumbag buyer then proceeds to taser my brother. My brother reaches for his personal gun on his holster and tries to shoot him, but grazes him and ends up shooting his own truck. Worse things could have happened, so I'm glad my brother is alive. He learned a valuable lesson. And at the very least, I can say someone tasered my bro. I got my daughter her first car a long time ago when she was 18 years old, and she felt very nervous about learning to drive. Luckily, after many lessons and stressful times, we helped her become a really good driver. She became proficient enough to pass her driving test and drive safely on her own without me having to sit next to her and help her all the time. 
Later, she went to a faraway university and planned to buy her own car there. The university was about 20 or 30 miles from our home. Compared to other students, it wasn't too far from home, but it was too long of a distance for her to travel every day. So my daughter decided she would visit home once a week and mentioned she was considering buying a different car near her university. This left me with the task of selling her car. I thought the best way was to use Craigslist, so I listed the car for sale there. The car was a 2010 Citroen, which isn't very common in the United States. Citroen cars are more often seen in Europe and the UK, but we had this one. I originally paid around two grand for it, so I put it up for sale at one grand, as it wasn't a big deal for me. Eventually, a few people showed interest and wanted to come see the car. They seemed interested and each had their reasons for liking it and wanting to buy it from me. I always felt a bit unsure about people coming over to our house to look at things, but I didn't have any other way to sell the car unless I wanted to go to a local dealer who might have given me only $10 for it. So, I decided to let people come and see the car, as there wasn't much choice. After that, I thought I could give my daughter the money from selling the car so that she could use it for the new car she wanted to buy, as she had passed her driving test and was going to university. I thought this was a good plan, even though I had bought the car for her. I wanted her to have the money to help her get the next car she wanted. Eventually, I set upon a man. His title on Craigslist was Paul, and he intended to buy this car. In a similar situation that I did, Paul told me that his daughter was learning to drive and was about 16 or 17 years old. She wanted a simple car that had manual transmission, which is also called stick shift. Most people these days are learning to drive in automatic cars, but Paul really wanted his daughter to learn with manual transmission. After a few days of chatting back and forth, we started talking more. Paul asked about the car's history, the maintenance it had, and all the repairs it had undergone. He seemed to know a lot about cars and was knowledgeable when it came to how cars work and their mechanics. On my side, I haven't really been into that stuff throughout my life. I was fine with letting mechanics handle things and taking the car to the garage for checkups. It doesn't mean I ignore the cars. I made sure to keep up with maintenance and servicing. I just didn't have interest in the technical side or how things work. On the other hand, this guy seemed like a real mechanical nerd. He was asking me things that I couldn't even understand. At one point, I had to search online to figure out what some of the terms he used meant. It was becoming a bit overwhelming, so I simply asked him to come over and see the car. Eventually, he came over to check out the car as we agreed on a Friday evening when he finished his work and came with his daughter. When Friday night came, I was eager to sell the car, as it was just sitting in our driveway, making things look crowded. Our driveway already had four cars, and adding a fifth one meant we had to keep moving them around, since we live with four or sometimes five people until my daughter left. But that's a different story that I'll talk about later. After waiting for a while, the man comes over. My wife is excited for me to sell the car and give the money to our daughter. The man starts eyeing the car up and down and immediately asks to look inside the bonnet. When he opens the front bonnet, he starts poking around and shining a torch all around the parts of the engine. So there he was, leaning over with his head almost inside the car, shining a light on different parts. I was there next to his daughter, both of us with our arms crossed, feeling a bit clueless. We stood there, waiting, 
while this so-called expert inspected every little part of the car. I wasn't going to sell the car if it was about to break down or if something wasn't right, but this guy seemed really suspicious about that. Even though I had put the price at just over a thousand dollars, which is much lower than what the car was actually worth. Despite all of this, after looking at the engine for about three or four minutes, he finally turns to me and asks for a test drive. In simple words, he wanted to drive the car with me in the passenger seat, and his daughter would sit in the back. I thought that was fine and agreed, so we both put on our seat belts, and off we went down the road. This is where things got interesting, and I started to wonder what exactly this guy was up to with the car. Then, the guy starts pressing the gas pedal really hard and suddenly slams on the brakes in the middle of the road. We were in a quiet neighborhood, and there were no cars in front or behind us. I don't know exactly what he has tried to prove, as I had already given him all the info about the car's maintenance history. I explained why and how we bought the car, even what type of gas we used, and the servicing we did. I thought that should be enough. But no, he was testing the car like he was a professional race driver. It was as if he wanted his daughter to race on a track with it, but still, I tried to ignore what he was doing. We sat there awkwardly while he kept slamming on the brakes, pushing the gas, and sometimes even making the car stop suddenly and start again. Now the car made really bad sounds like something was wrong with the gears, and it seemed like he was almost breaking it. To break the awkward silence in the car, I looked at him and said, So, what do you think? He turned to me and asked more questions about the car as we pulled over to the side of the road near the sidewalk. But he let the engine run while keeping the clutch up. I started asking him more questions about why he was doing all these tests. He said he was checking if the car was really reliable and if there were any problems with it. On the other end, his daughter hadn't said anything the whole time and stayed quiet almost like he was the one in charge and she didn't have any say in what was happening. Just when he's almost sure that he wants to buy the car, we start turning around to go back to my house and finish the deal. But suddenly, the car stops working. When the car stops, there's a really awkward silence for about two seconds. He doesn't say anything. He just looks down at the steering wheel. I'm looking at him, feeling really awkward and not sure what's going on. He tries to start the car again, but it won't start. He's getting more and more frustrated, and I couldn't understand why he was so upset. He looks at me as if it was somehow a setup and I was trying to scam him. He keeps trying to start the car, but it's not working. At that moment, a warning light for the battery being low comes on. Instead of taking that as a sign, he turns to me and starts blaming me. In his mind, he somehow believes that I was trying to cheat him by selling a broken car for a thousand dollars. After everything we just experienced, he doesn't seem to realize that the way he was driving the car just moments ago, pushing the gas hard, then braking abruptly might have contributed to the issue. All this even though we had just started the car and driven out of my driveway seconds earlier. I felt pretty puzzled by what happened next because it's like something changed in his mind instantly. At first he was this odd and sort of nerdy guy carefully examining the engine like a detective. And suddenly he switched to thinking I was trying to cheat him out of a thousand dollars because the car stopped due to battery problems. I tried to be honest with him, as I didn't know what was wrong, and I certainly didn't plan this. I attempted to calm him down because he was now really angry and started using bad words and told his daughter to leave the car. I remember they walked back to their truck, 
marching together in a hurry, holding hands. I felt really terrible, as if he believed I was trying to trick them. I didn't understand why he reacted that way, but after this incident, I took the car to my local dealership, and they told me it was just a battery problem. They said the battery's charge was actually good, around 75%, so I didn't need to replace it. The guy had driven the car recklessly with the engine still cold, even though it was an old car. He acted foolishly and seemed to think he knew everything about cars, but anyone experienced in mechanics or engineering wouldn't start a car and then suddenly go full speed with their foot on the gas just seconds after starting it. I put the car up for sale on Craigslist again and found a good owner. It was a nice older lady, maybe in her mid-sixties, who just needed a car for getting around. She came to check the car, everything was fixed, and the battery issue was gone. I took some extra drives to make sure the engine was okay after what had happened with the guy earlier. I sold the car and gave my daughter the extra thousand dollars. But that was definitely my worst and only bad experience on Craigslist.